another episode of crystal myth with your gal leslie and my main gal yasmin and the man mark or the man in the myth the legend hey. hi hello i was slightly upset when you said my main gal yas because it was like i want to be your main guy sorry <laughs> you are the guy there that's better okay i'll, I'll take that so yeah. we're going to talk about um, alchemy this week. The, so I suppose if anyone knows what alchemy is, Yasmin's done some research on it. And the only thing I kind of knew about alchemy was that it was sort of like a mad medieval style science thing where they would try and turn base metals into gold in order to achieve immortality and wealth by creating something called the Philosopher's Stone. So if you're Harry Potter fans, apart from Americans, they changed it to Sorcerer's Stone because they thought that Americans were too dumb to know what oh my God. a philosopher was. Yes. Are you kidding me? Wow. Okay. Why didn't they, they just they had to change the title in America to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because they didn't think they would know what a philosopher's stone was. Google it either. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so why did you pick up there, like, tell us about alchemy. Yeah, so basically alchemy is like what you said, is basically, it's quite an ancient sort of science almost, where, and it started way back from like the ancient Egyptians and like the Chinese as well at the same time, um, where they believed that everything's made up of like sort of base metals, which like mercury, sulfur, copper, I can't remember what that one is, but basically it's their whole goal of trying to change these base metals into gold um and it kind of from what i've been reading it kind of you've got the side of it that's all like spiritual and soul seeking and stuff like that and then you've got the other side that is very scientific um and that's kind of where a lot of it broke into where i think basically what it was is they didn't seem to realize there was a difference between metals and having metal like sort of chemical reactions and actual like base elements which you also can't change so sort of a lot of people just discovering a lot of these things so a lot of the that original alchemy of them being so obsessed with trying to turn turn it into gold then led us into like all the compounds that we've got today so you've got loads of like mm. alloys and different metals today because of this the work because they, they were did. just fanning yeah. about with different metals basically like they were sticking different metals into different other metals <laughs> you're gonna say <laughs> There are. are really in the <laughs> 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 <And> other things. <laughs> um, <laughs> <but> like, <gasps> oh my god. Um, but yeah, like doing like different things as well. Like putting it in really, really high temperatures or freezing it or 
putting two different metals together at different temperatures and they obviously react differently and then produce different compounds. Um, so because they were seeing that these reactions were happening, they were like, well, if we can change this into that, there must be a secret into changing it ultimately into gold. And that was sort of like the obsession that alchemists had with to change stuff into gold. And then I think the spiritual side comes from, you know, there's the belief that everything in the world is basically earth, water, um, yeah. air and I, I looked into this, Yasmin, and it makes me, and it, it reminded me of the film The Fifth Element. Because yeah. it's air, what is it? Air, fire, earth, yeah. and water. Yeah. And then the fifth element is like God, the ether, yeah. they call it. So and I just thought I the fifth element. It, no, so that kind of weirdly comes into it because it ends up being oh, okay. really weirdly spiritual where it leads into I don't know if you've ever read the book The Alchemist. And it's no. this guy's whole, it's really, really good actually. Oh, okay. This guy's whole sort of soulful journey, his obsession is kind of finding gold but he's basically had this dream about the pyramids and that there would be a treasure buried there for him and that, that would be his gold but along the way he met an alchemist who basically trained him about the elements and how to sort of control the elements as well so there's a bit of there seems to be that kind of mythological side to it and then there's like the real life side to it of where you can create different compounds so it's yeah it depends what side you're looking at like the mythological side or the the real life side and then the interesting mm-hmm. just for me i think the interesting about the word alchemy basically comes from the arabic word which so oh. like chemistry in arabic is kimia oh, and cool. then like al in arabic is just the so it's the chemistry so alchemy is basically the arabic word for or came from the arabic word for from chemistry which i found that's really interesting, interesting. I like I looked into the spiritual sort of mythology of alchemy, um, and there's a lot of signs and symbols in it um, mm. in ancient alchemy, and I find it interesting where you mentioned that the word alchemy comes from Arabic, because also there's a lot of alchemy in sort of Kabbalah, which is a Jewish mysterious mm. cult which Madonna tried to get into and make cool. Yeah, where they were like you know where they were wearing those like red strings around their wrists and things like that. Um, I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. Do you know the word abracadabra is part yeah. of alchemy? Did you read that? Well, I, I think that might be in the book, the alchemy. Book. Oh, is it? Uh, so the, al- that's, that, oh, the origins of abracadabra um, is basically the initials, the Hebrew initials for Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's used as a charm in Kabbalah. And it's like to alchemy goes back Almost as far as its first uses in those religions, abracadabra is an ancient alchemy symbol that was utilised as an antidote to multiple illnesses and it's used to inspire natural healing processes in order to perform these tasks. Abracadabra was written on a piece of parchment in its special upside-down triangle formation and then suspended from the neck of the person who needed healing by a simple thread. So it's not just magicians (laughs) for pulling rabbits out of hats. I don't know why it ended up being used by them. Yeah, that's really. I thought you were going to say like it was the word they used when they were converting one thing to another or something, and that's yeah. what the link would be. But I mean, it's still very interesting. Mm-hmm. That it's but yeah, that's, <laughs> you wonder how they get from it's like a healing word to it's the word for yeah, magically making something appear. But then the alchemists were kind of seen as being sort of wise men and healers and stuff as well because they were so busy playing with different 
compounds and chemicals. Yeah. So I think in a lot of villages they were the, also the healers. Yeah, and that's interesting because yeah. the, the, there's a symbol for alchemy that's now the symbol of the medical realm, which is the rod wrapped with two serpents and wings. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah. I think in the book there's something about him turning something into a snake or a snake turning into something else. or so It's because they're basically using like nature's elements or nature's power. Mm-hmm. And then they use that to turn something into gold. They use the pentacle as well, which is usually associated with goths and evil and the devil and stuff. But actually the pentacle was used in by the ancient Greeks who followed the philosophy of Pythagoras, which makes sense because it's a bunch of triangles, isn't it? Yeah. And they used it to represent the marriage between the earth and the heavens. And it's always about as above, so below. So I think Alistair Crowley took on this sort of Jewish philosophy and part of his so-called religion or whatever his magic thing that he started then there's like the eye of ra which turned into ergon which is an ancient spiritual symbol for the right eye of the soul there's all these different weird spit and rose windows as well the gothic circular windows in the shape of a rose and giant cathedrals alchemists see the beautiful what is it dodecaphedon it must be the shape as a symbol that is connected to the ether which is the fifth element that they were all attempting to achieve so somehow I think that if they achieve the philosopher's, they actually managed to make or like produce the philosopher's stone, that gives them power to yeah. connect to the ether and somehow gain immortality or something. Something like that's them reached that level of enlightenment mm. or whatever you want to call it. Um, for them to reach that level, then you have all this power because now you're one with the elements and shit. <laughs> 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 looking it up though and we've got that idea of the fifth element but like you said jazz it was based on the chinese stuff and in china the fifth element was wood so, wow. oh. so basically lifted that had the same thing but then took wood out of it and then we're like yeah and the fifth element which is the ether which as you say is like this connection to the spiritual realm and if you can discover it you can become one with god and it must have been pretty weird if you were like a Chinese person that was traveling the globe at that point in time and came across people using Chinese philosophy and explaining it to you that way and you'd be like, oh, the fifth one's just wood. Like, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, got it wrong. So yeah. what's the magic everything... properties of wood? I don't, I couldn't really find what the magic properties of wood were because I don't think they had all the stuff of, like the ancient Chinese one didn't seem to have the, like fire equates to, earth equates to, all the stuff that, um, mm. and the, kind of um alchemy they just had that you've got five elements they're fire earth they didn't have air though they had metal and then water and wood and that you need everything in balance in the world because the world's like a big organism so you need oh. to have a balance of fire earth metal water and wood otherwise the world won't be healthy and you have to have like a balance of but then in your body again the alchemy is obviously about balancing the four elements but they didn't really have that. They said, like, in the body, you need a perfect balance of, in fact, this links back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast. You need a balance of all things. So you need to be balanced masculine and feminine. You need to be balanced dark and light. You balance good and bad. You need to be balanced hot and cold. Otherwise, you're not functioning properly. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark, the Chinese have chucked all that in the bin because, because they've built so much um, concrete monstrosities in their cities and packed it in so much. It's actually having an effect on the earth itself it's making it tilt unbalanced to one side so in order to counterbalance that you're going to have to build a massive mega city on the other side of somewhere like peru 
to sort of balance out the earth otherwise well, it's fucked horribly that's, that's genuine true the earth's too heavy on one side surely on the other side we could build a big giant structure but that only contains man-made lakes man-made like earth mounds man-made <laughs> so man-made forests or man-planted forests and it needs to be heavy though yeah we would just have to build it up until it was so heavy that it balanced it out and then your ancient chinese philosophers would say yeah that's fine the earth's back in balance again and there's loads of woods and we well, don't like them cities not count as being heavy well because they're all pretty much concrete as well i mean yeah fair we've probably got quite a lot of work to do to balance it out i did like the ancient chinese one though i thought yeah that makes sense you should have a balance of all five of those things but then it's quite hippy dippy and i'm quite hippy dippy so obviously I'm- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the more widely kind of known type of alchemy seemed to spread from like ancient Egypt, like around Middle East and then into Europe, and they all seem to have the same ideology. Like it, from what I was doing, it's from like ancient Egypt to the Greeks to then like the Arabs and then into Spain and then to the rest of Europe. It was quite interesting how it's, yeah, yeah, kind of evolved like that. Well, what fascinates me people try to get gold. When you said mention Spain there, that's quite interesting um, that you should mention that, Yasmin, because I was going to talk about, I found out about this guy called Nicolas Flamel, and he is supposedly a French guy who lived in, well, he was real, and he lived uh, between 1330 and 1418 in Paris, and he was a librarian and sort of scribe, and he started getting into alchemy. He seen this book this ped like this peddler was selling this book supposedly written by a guy called Abraham the Jew. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was his name. It's like oh. I really know. Know Abraham the Jew was Jewish and had just given himself a horribly racist nickname. <laughs> he was yeah, the check only out, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Check out this book by Abraham the Jew. Uh, he's like, oh, that that's interesting. He he recognised it as um like a, an important sort of Jewish alchemy book, like an instruction book about how to like interpret all the different symbols so that you can produce the Philosopher's Stone. So he was like to the guy, oh, I'm interested in that book. I'll give you a couple of like florins for it, which is just like, you know, nothing, pennies. And the guy was like, yeah, fair enough. Here you go. But he didn't, he had problems deciphering it. So what he did was him and his wife traveled to Spain. So it was called, so it was, he went to a market, got the book by Abraham the Jew. <laughs> and then the pages of the book contained images, which detailed some steps of the great work as the alchemy alchemical process of creating the philosopher's stone was called so he was trying to create philosopher's stone but he couldn't understand what the images meant so he left for compostela in spain where he was introduced to another jew who had converted to catholicism the jew understood the meaning of the images and he shared that with flamel he then went back to paris where he began to experiment with the transmutation of metals alongside his wife he had taught her also the principles of alchemy in the past, and by following to the letter the instructions from the book, they achieved their first successful transmutation, obtaining gold of a far superior quality than the common one and a much higher level of purity. So throughout this book, he discovered how to turn base metals into gold, so he became incredibly wealthy, but he was really scared that the king, Charles V, would find out. 
So because he'd ordered all the destruction of all the alchemy labs, probably in a jealous rage or something, I don't know. And then Flamel's reaction was to endow various churches and to order a portal with symbolic figures for St. Jacques Le Boucheret, the neighbouring church. But he also apparently produced an elixir from the Philosopher's Stone that allowed him, that he drank, or I don't know what he did with it, or maybe in a form of a pill, like a golden pill or something, that allowed him and his wife to be immortal. And according to this guy, Paul Lucas, who was a traveller in the 18th century, he declared that he'd met some Arabs in the desert and that they had told him that the famous couple of alchemists were still alive and they'd met them. So in his book, The History of the French from Different States, Alexis Montelain stated how he came across a French intellectual and they talked. The man told him that he had met Nicholas Flamel, who was not only alive, but he kept on experimenting in some sort of secret underground facility. And then later on, at the end of the 20th century, someone called um, Averos Secundus, a Syrian who converted to Christianity, he wrote in his book Terra Incognita Perpetua, how he had visited the underground labyrinth facility located in Spain, where beneath the Sierra Marina Plateau, he mentioned that there were many entrances located in the underground levels of abandoned buildings from the region and in caves, and that the system of catacombs were so vast that it reached as far as Castilla Galatia, I can't say pronounce, um, in Catalonia, in the oh. Basque Country, stretching over several hundred kilometres. The labyrinth was said to be filled with treasures beyond imagining, and it was inhabited by a community of initiates. Their libraries were full of books containing the greatest and most well-guarded secrets of the universe. And everything which was not discovered up to that point was being researched and experimented within their secret labs. Avera Secundus even states that he met the famous Nicholas Flamel in person, alive and well among the other initiates, and that he talked to him about how he was conducting experiments in order to turn the visible into the invisible. The purpose of this task was to find the ultimate method to protect the hidden world from the greed of outsiders. Of course, the initiates protected their secret facility and they had instituted many rules and procedures in this sense. The protection system had been conceived by a group of initiates led and supervised by Flamel himself. The only way to open the hidden doors was by signalling those below and only one person at a time. Leaving aside the methods of access, entering the system of catacombs was very difficult because even though accidental access may be possible, accidental exit is impossible. So what do you think? That really fascinates me that this guy is still alive with his wife, hiding underground, doing weird experiments. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. I think that's I amazing. Like the original kind of Illuminati type people. Like that's um, yeah, kind of imagining them. as They had all these secrets that they were trying to discover for different things, and they had all this power. But also had to stay hidden so that everyone didn't know about it. How do you think they would pick the other people that they wanted to come live down there? I don't know, but I wish I was one of them. I want to be part of that and secret initiation. Well, like, do you think they've given them the gift? Yes. Or... I reckon they have. Like, I think it, you would probably maybe they choose they choose you, and then you'd have to work and prove yourself worthy. And if you are. God, that sounds like like um, what we do in the shadows. We're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like um, the what is it called? The familiars who look after the vampires during the day. Um, mm-hmm. One of them, Miguel, he or Guillermo, um, Guillermo, he is desperate to become a vampire. 
but eventually you get sick of it. It turns out he's a Van Helsing anyway, so he's really good at killing vampires. But it's sort of like that, yeah, that you hope that they'll give you the secret eventually and give you the elixir, but they don't want to spread it too far. They don't want everyone getting it. I feel like it would almost be like they would have like an apprentice or someone. So they would maybe have someone younger that they would teach and if they were worthy, they would proper teach them and then they would be handed down the secrets. Like they wouldn't yeah. just kind of like you say hand it out willy-nilly they would because if you imagine if you're a proper alchemist you've reached that level of being amazing and you're mm. probably quite old and wise and you'd need to find someone to like pass your knowledge down to yeah, and it's kind of I'd... selfish as well because they said that they've got libraries full of like containing books containing the greatest and most well-guarded secrets of the universe <laughs> Well, it's kind of like Vatican as well. Yeah. <laughs> all the books the oh, yeah. What did the Vatican have hiding? Apart from exactly. little boys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, everything that was not discovered up to that point was being researched and experimented within their secret laboratories. Well, why don't they come up with a fucking cure for COVID then? I <laughs> think <laughs> information and knowledge is power. Yeah. So keep it to yourself because that is your power. Remember the great library of alexandra burnt down i wonder what marvels and what information was lost in that fire supposed to have contained all the knowledge it's been all over the middle east all over the arab countries again all the like i can't remember was in syria or something years and years ago like from the crusades that the the rivers ran black with ink because they were like burning and ruining all the books and i don't know if you remember when you went to probably luxor aswan a lot of the temples had like black like they were charred black at the top. That's I think again, you the, did mention that. Yeah, that's basically where in the Crusades had happened. The Christians basically burnt all the books, oh, God, no. and that's why they were like all black. And that's how they ended up. Um, when we move on to talking about medieval medicine, is it that's how they ended up in the sort of dark ages because they burnt so many vital like knowledge. Yeah, you kill, you destroy their books, you destroy their mm-hmm. knowledge, you kill the people of knowledge, and that's how you destroy a community and destroy a civilization. Yeah, like in the Crusades, like the Arabs were re- really intelligent and like far, far well more advanced than other like places were at that time in Britain. Like they were, I think, when I'm thinking of like Henry VIII's first wife, Catherine of Aragon, they sort of like, they conquered a lot of islamic places but they then took on part of their culture like bathing and different philosophies mathematics and things like that but then sort of mixed it with their catholic faith <laughs> but they were bastards because they forced well, a lot of people to keep there well like most of the stuff it in like school and uni you read about mm. like science chemistry maths it all came from the arabs but yeah they like, i think there wasn't a, any concept of the, the number zero before but it was the Arabs that came up with that, and the well, they call it the Arabic alphabet, don't they? Yeah. So, God, I'm gonna sound like my dad right now. No, never use your dad's name. Alphabet. That's an Arabic word because the first yeah, letter of right. Arabic alphabet is alif, bet, tet, which is huh. A, B alphabet, basically. Um, so all those Islamophobics out there that are pretty much idiots. Every time you recite the alphabet, that's Islamic. <laughs> that's from Arabic. I mean, we're assuming Islamophobes can recite the alphabet. Like, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> or add up. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, everyone's linked to each other. But I don't understand how anyone could be racist about anything when we obviously come from the same shit. Yeah. 
Oh. A very beautiful sentiment, yeah, as we all come from the same <laughs> jet. Yeah, I love it. Um, I've come up with, I found an interesting article from the, Swiss, uh, the Smithsonian magazine, and it says alchemy may not have been the pseudoscience we all thought it was, but I found it really amusing when I was reading this article that the very mention of alchemy from like sort of the younger generation of scientists that are trying to like experiment with it to see if it was like any like you said jasmine whether it actually had any benefits scientifically mm. uh, the very mention of it with the old school scientists turns them into a, like drives them to an absolute rage like they're actually like furious <laughs> i just imagine their big red faces and steam coming out of their ears it's like they're trying to be so logical and scientific and mentioning alchemy is like no you're just going into fairy tales now yeah so, so they said that uh, throughout the 20th century, the academic community had little patience with alchemists and their vain efforts to transmute, transmute sorry, base metals into gold. Any contemporary scholar who even dared to write about alchemy, historian Herbert Butterfield warned, would become tinctured with the kind of lunacy they set out to describe. So they basically called them mental. If you even try to like research it or anything or prove that it's uh, or even write about it in an academic way. But in the 1980s, some revisionist scholars began arguing that alchemists actually made significant contributions to the development of science. Historians of science began deciphering alchemical texts, which wasn't easy. The alchemists obsessed with secrecy, like the your man. What was his name? (laughs) Flammy Flammel. He's very secretive. So that's why it was difficult to sort of decipher because there was lots of metaphorical terms laden with obscure references to mythology and history. For instance, the text that describes a cold dragon who creeps in and out of the caves was called for saltpeter, potassium nitrate, and a crystalline substance found on cave walls that tastes cool on the tongue. So they had like different kind of names for it that we would now have like proper scientific names yeah like i'm sure like nickel and stuff had their own sort of alchemic terms that sound quite mythical but it's actually just a real thing was uh, like i so like part of what i researched was the stuff on the humors mm-hmm. which i want to talk about but yeah like it's crazy but if they hadn't started researching the humors then they wouldn't have found out that they weren't real and they wouldn't have made scientific advancements. And the bits of it that they tested that did work, because they used like some herbs to test human imbalances. And then obviously using like herbs and plants, they would now use like extracts of those herbs and plants and things mm. like paracetamol and ibuprofen. So but were... a lot of those herbs and plants that they did use ended up killing people that they were trying yeah, they to heal. Them, <laughs> 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 I guess. But we would, never, we would be where we were now if they hadn't mm. tested that stuff. So, yeah, I get that they did end up killing people and that what they actually believed about humours was clearly incorrect. But I suppose otherwise they'd just have still not known anything. So, yeah, they wouldn't believe in humours, but we also wouldn't have, like, modern medicine. So, Well, this article really was interesting because this guy, uh, Lawrence Principe, a chemist and science historian at John Hopkins University, he cobbled together obscure texts and scraps of a 17th century laboratory notebooks 
to reconstruct a recipe to grow a philosopher's tree from a seed of gold. So supposedly this tree was a precursor to the more celebrated philosopher's stone, which would be able to transmute metals into gold. The use of gold to make more gold would have seemed entirely logical to alchemists. Principe explains like using germs of wheat to grow an entire field of wheat. So Principe mixed specific, uh, specially prepared mercury and gold into a buttery lump at the bottom of a flask. Then he buried the sealed flask in a heated sand bath in his lab. One morning, Principe came into the lab to discover to his utter disbelief that the flask was filled with a glittering and fully formed tree of gold. The mixture of metals had grown upward into a structure resembling coral or the branching canopy of a tree minus the leaves. That's amazing. I want to do that. I want to do that as well. (laughs) The two metals reacting to each other. Yeah, and it's somehow like I don't know how that would work. That's so weird. It's like you know, like how you can build up crystals. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever do that in biology, or was it by, bi- or is it chemistry? We did it. I didn't do. It, I didn't go on to do chemistry. Did you? Um, a wee bit. I don't. Oh, I'm Dr. Town shouting at me all the time. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had the same chemistry experience. So yeah. Were you in the same class? I think so. Yeah. I think but, we were, but at a a different table from you. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. The front right table and I sat at the back left table. Yeah, I mean, that. It was pretty much, um, you couldn't believe that this had happened because I guess he probably thought, oh, well, this is from the 17th century, it's going to be a lot of shit, but I'll just try it anyway, and then it actually worked. So, I think I have no idea. I wish he'd been our chemistry teacher in the yeah, <laughs> One, we probably have got to sit at the same table, and two, we get to make magic shiny trees. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he said that what intrigues him and his fellow historians is the growing evidence that alchemists seem to have performed legitimate experiments, manipulated and analysed the material world in interesting ways and reported genuine results. And many of the great names in the canon of modern science took note, says William Newman. So they said Robert Boyle, one of the 17th century founders of modern chemistry, basically pillaged the work of German physician and alchemist Daniel Senart. Uh, when Boyle's French counterpart Antoine Laurent Lavoisier substituted a modern list of elements such as oxygen, hydrogen, carbon and others for the ancient four elements of earth, air, fire and water, he built on an idea that was actually widespread in earlier alchemical sources. Uh, the concept of matter was composed of several distinctive elements in turn that inspired Sir Isaac Newton's work on optics, notably his demonstration that the multiple colours produced by a prism could be reconstituted into white light. But other scholars have at times responded to this idea with outrage. Principe was once confronted, this is the bit that made me laugh, at an academic conference by a member of the audience who was literally shaking with rage that I could defame Boyle in this way. Like, who the fuck cares? He's dead. I don't think Boyle's going to care. Like, that you're to try to defend him. (laughs) It's like their core beliefs, so... To say that he's yeah. not real, everything that you believe in is real. But yeah, you bring up Isaac Newton as well, and because I was reading a bit about him, uh-huh. um, and because I've always thought of Isaac Newton as being like more involved in maths and physics, and yeah. like I did loads of like mechanics stuff at uni. It was all like Newtonian mechanics, and I never ever knew that he was probably one of the biggest alchemists as well. And a lot of his work was picked up from. The stuff that um, Nicholas Flamel did. Yeah. So yeah, he picked up his books and tried to carry it on. Apparently, he tried to find them. 
<laughs> get initiated and the secret Later. lab and he was rejected and that's why because he was a big virgin oh, and liked. I don't know it would have been like <laughs> <laughs> that would be crazy so, uh, so I was um, like I don't want you <laughs> you fuck <laughs> off you virgin <laughs> and that... you smell <laughs> you live with your mother oh, <laughs> oh my god Oh, it's so funny to see these but, people. But you know, like I think they probably hid that from you and uni or whatever because it sounded mad, so they didn't want to make them like. That's the thing that even at the time, yeah. scientists were like telling him he was crazy and just to stop talking about this nonsense. Mm-hmm. So he kind of carried on doing experiments like by himself secretly. But he published like loads and loads of stuff on alchemy, but it was kind of all almost like shunned to be like you're a madman. Stop doing the stupidity. Um, so I think at the time he wasn't taken seriously. He definitely wasn't respected because I think even his theory of gravity and stuff, he took it to the Royal um, Society of, of whatever science or whatever, and they told him basically to fuck off, we're not funding this. So it was another scientist who who's Irish, I think, and he sort of read Isaac Newton's like theory on gravity and things like that. And he, because he was quite wealthy, he said, right, I'll fund you. And they worked together on that and said well fuck you royal society <laughs> i'll just self-publish it's mad isn't it yeah it's like actually turns out he was right other things are made to sound like absolute crazy people because you know what the royal society would rather spend their rather spend their money on rather than fund him a book about fish and nearly <laughs> bankrupted them <laughs> See? Oh. fish are great <laughs> they wanted to log all these different types of fish it's like well I think gravity is more important than gathering different types of fish, mate. But gravity doesn't exist. Like, they didn't know it was real. So you're just making mm. nonsense. That was mad. And it was really... Because it implies that the Royal Society was just one guy. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it could also be, like, the whole, like, secrets as well. Like, they might have thought, oh, no, it's actually real, but we're just going to keep it a secret to ourselves. We don't want the world to know. So have you got any more on the Chinese thing? Because we didn't really hear much about that, Mark. No, I mean, just the stuff that I kind of introduced, but then that leads into the humours, so I can talk about them if you want. Okay, well, let's lead into the humours, and then that leads us on into sort of mad medical medical practices. (laughs) Medicine. Um, Yeah, there was obviously the Chinese thing with the five elements, and then that transferred into everywhere else in the world with their four main elements, and then the fifth element. And then the humours was like a belief in medicine that the four elements that are the earthly elements that we've all got a dominant trait. So that kind of rules your personality and the way that you act. But we still all contain the other three and the other three you have to keep in balance. Otherwise, well, there's different things that can happen if they're not in balance. So if they're not in balance, it can affect your interests. So I don't know if you started like going out and compulsively masturbating in the street and stuff. <laughs> then they might say oh that's because your um humors are out of line or uh, if you have like really low energy they'd say oh that may be because your humors are out of line uh, if you were having any emotional issues so any sort of mental health problems well actually in that time we know that they just locked you up forever but they might try first to realign your humors and they also said children that had short attention spans, it was because their humours were out of line. So, oh, and did they mention about, 
Oh, I imagine what the actual word is because I don't. H U M O R. Yeah, and it was like black bile, yellow phlegm. I can't remember the rest. Sorry. It's black bile, yellow blight. Black bile, yellow bile. <laughs> that's that's a tongue twister. Yellow lorry. Black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. But they all relate to an element, and then so there's your dominant element. So I'll explain that first because then we can decide which one we are. So everybody has a dominant element. So if you're earth, that means you're analytical and detail orientated. If you're fire, that means you're practical, independent and extroverted. If you're water, that means you're relaxed and easygoing. And if you're air, that means you're talkative and enthusiastic. So that's like your main humour. But you can be a bit of each of them. No, so we, according to this, each one of us would have our main humour. And then it's the other ones that you have to keep in balance because that one's always going to be your like main humour. What was the first one? Uh, so the first one's Earth, which is your analytical and detail-orientated. Right, and right. Fire, which is your practical, independent and extroverted. I think I'm fire. I'll take fire as well. Yeah, <laughs> you are fire. And then... Water, which means you're relaxed and easygoing. And then air, which means you're talkative and enthusiastic. Are we both air, Yaz? Yasmin. Do you like talkative and enthusiastic when it's people that I know and like? <laughs> yeah, the same. Stop, <laughs> it's it's like I don't know, I'm not, unless I've had a good few drinks in me, and then I'll talk to any cunt. I agree, you're fire, Leslie. Are you even air, Yaz? I think I'm air. I feel like I'm a mix between earth and fire. I had to identify with them. Why can't I'm fire, but I also I, I identify as air. So then, right, that would mean that we would all be ruled by the one that we're ruled by. And then the other three have to be in check. And if they're out of balance, then that'll make you ill. So, okay, so if you are, if you're not earth, right, and you've got, and your earth is out of whack, that means you've got too much black bile, as Leslie said, which um, isn't a thing. It doesn't exist, but they didn't know that at the time. So there are different types of bile in the body. There's no such thing as black bile, which they said is produced by your spleen. So they said if you've got too much black bile being produced by your spleen, that means there's too much earth in your body. And the way to get rid of that is to give you a strong laxative. So basically, <laughs> you just need to have diarrhea. And then we're like, well, that's all the mud's coming out of you. Is that not the whole, like, if you're constipated or if your colon's, like, clogged up, you need something to clear it out and that will actually help your well-being? Do you know what they actually no, do these days, your... though? A fecal transfer. Oh, I've heard about. Yeah, it was in South Park as well, where they they wanted the the spice melange, which was apparently um what that that footballer Tom Brady's shit. They were all after his shit because it was the best shit. And if you put that shit in your body, you become like amazingly fit and healthy and stuff. It was like it was Kyle's mum that that got it done. That would maybe work for this if, like, you didn't have enough earth in your body. They might be like, right, so you need to get somebody else's diarrhea and put it yeah, in. Yeah, it was supposed to be a cure for diarrhea, a fecal transfer. It's for people who have constant diarrhea. If you get someone else's healthy shit in your body by way of an enema or something or a pill, then it, it sort of balances out your mini microsystem or something. I 
I was reading about this, like, this is a real thing that people are yeah. doing. Where it's basically, it's, you know, you've got, like, good and bad bacteria in your gut. Yeah. Well, if yours is, like, bad and you've got an illness and you get the bacteria from someone else that's really healthy. So they take it from children a lot because they're, they should have a lot of good bacteria. And when you put that oh, into God. your gut, then it yeah it all out. It sounds like, medieval, doesn't oh. it? But it's actually real. Yeah, it sounds really insane is what I just did. In fact, it sounds more insane than what I just said. It does. But people are proper doing this and, like, actually drinking each other's shit. It's mad. Yeah, because, like, South Park, Kyle's mum got it done um, because she was severely ill, so she got that done in a hospital. But then all her friends started getting jealous because she looked amazing. So they started trying to, like, invade her house to sort of get her shit. Like, or I think they were bribing her kids to say, look here, if you could like wait for your mum to do a shit and then take a bit of that and give it to us, we'll, we'll give you something in return, like a computer game. I think it was like a Star Wars game or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. I don't think, I wouldn't do it. I, I, it sounds disgusting. I really couldn't do it. There's other ways of getting good bacteria into your gut. Yeah, like take some yakko or something. Exactly. Or <laughs> <laughs> some yakko. Fine. So what if you had too much like fire? Okay, so if you have too much fire, which you can't have, Leslie, because no, you're because I have fire. Yeah. Too much fire, then that would mean too much yellow bile being produced by your gallbladder, which can actually be a thing, but obviously doesn't mean you're full of fire. So they said in that instance, you had to be given a mixture of um, plant matter that would make you throw up. But again, they're obviously just doing the same thing where you vomit and your vomit's like greeny yellow. So they're like, well, there we go. That's yellow to that's yellow. Uh, what fire looks yeah. like in your body. So that's out of your body now. Brilliant. So I need to become bulimic. So do you know what's weird is like one of the things I was reading about is actually linked to this. And I didn't realise until right now. If you guess there's like cupping or bloodletting. Yeah, that was quite common. Yeah, so that was part of the humour. Yeah, so I've only been like right now that that's part and they're going on about so basically taking out bad blood balances out the yellow bile black bile flame and blood and all that so it's like literally the same thing yeah but the thing is I so I got this done once because this is still done oh yeah so cupping is still done and so are leeches yeah leeches quite cool so I did the cupping maybe in February this what year was it like it was so weird. Like, I'll send you pictures of it because it's really Ooh, gross. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I've got, basically I've got really bad arthritis in my knees yeah. and my back kills me all the time. Like, it doesn't matter how many times I go to a chiropractor or a massage or a physio, my back just aches all the time. So someone told me basically, go for the cupping thing. Like, they take out all the black blood, uh, the bad blood and it should help. And it, it was, I mean, it was, it was, sore everyone told me it's not sore but it was sore but I basically got the cups done on my upper back and my lower back and like four cups around each knee as well and like see the stuff that came out it was so disgusting I thought it was just gonna be blood but this was like really 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 dark red and almost like thick and congealed that it was actually sitting like jelly in the cups and it's horrible and then the ones around my knees were actually like bubbling with white stuff and the woman there was basically saying because I take so many painkillers for my knees, like that's all it congealed in my blood, and so that's why that came out weird. And like the jelly stuff is basically that's all. If you imagine like your veins are like pipes, and you're basically cleaning out what's clogging up your pipes, and that's why it was coming out as thick. It was honestly, I swear, it looked like jelly. It was literally solid. Um, but she was also saying that even though it's got all those health benefits, it's 
also might be really good for your mental health and it like lifts depression and stuff as well and to be honest see at the time when I got it done apart from my back being absolutely aching because someone had like put needles in my back and like sucked my blood out it it makes you feel so much lighter and it did actually take the pain away like it's absolutely mad that's but it doesn't cure it though does it no that's saying it didn't cure it so I would say like a month later I was back mm. to being sore again mm. um you used to do that with the bubonic plague so the bubbles that it's basically like pus like boils that formed in your lymph nodes because of the the fleas that that that, that caused the plague to I don't know that's how you it spread and that was a symptom of it they would cup them to draw out the bad humors and the or the bad part of the the disease basically they called it to draw out the disease from the bubbles but I don't know whether that obviously probably didn't work but the rich people used leeches in terms of like drawing blood from them which is still used today by medical practitioners for not just not just for the hell of like taking blood out of someone to get the bad blood out it's for like say um, serious like blood diseases or something um, or the bad blood from the good blood and the yeah the bad bit so whereas yeah. the poor people would have to go to a barber's and get uh, oh. someone to cut them with a knife like a dodgy one yeah and they often died as a result of blood loss so it's oh. pretty stupid oh man it was weird i don't know if i would ever do it again to be honest but it was I think Gwyneth Paltrow got it done once and it was all over, like, I think that was all over social media at one point. Well, all the swimmers in the Olympics were getting it done. You know, they had all those, like, dark circles in their back. Yeah. That oh. was popping. So, like, it is really... See, That's interesting like, as well. So, when yeah. I was looking it up, like, that was, like, literally everything you said there I found really interesting because all of that, the cupping is if you've got too much water, which would then be, like, if you were exposed to too much water, so if you were a swimmer. Oh, also got like an internally too much water if that's out of balance it'll right, make right. your muscles or your bones are cold so that's obviously like arthritis that would apply to and then yeah it's like basically you have to have the the cupping to remove the water in the form of like phlegm from mm. your blood that's pretty cool See, when you're talking about water though this kind of leads me into what I want to talk about which is the um, method uh, the 18th century method for saving people from drowning or reviving people after being drowned and it's literally blowing smoke up of someone's arse <laughs> <laughs> so you know the phrase oh you're just you're just blowing smoke up my ass you know yeah. we used to hear that phrase all the time where it means that you're just telling them what they want to hear but in 18th century england blowing smoke up an ass was an actual medical procedure. So the earliest reports the practice took place in England in 1746 when a woman was left unconscious after nearly drowning. Her husband allegedly took the suggestion of administering a tobacco enema to revive her, a practice that was rising in popularity at the time as a possible answer to the frequent local instances of drowning. So it happened quite a lot. They had a drowning problem in the 18th century. Is it because they were wearing all those heavy dresses and clothes that just, I don't know, or they were just... Oh, they couldn't swim out, probably. Yeah, maybe. Under. So he took the tobacco-filled pipe, inserted the stem into his wife's rectum, and blew a bunch of smoke up there. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would kill you. Yeah, it's not great, but apparently it worked. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very I think maybe the shock of someone shoving something up your arse would probably revive you. Yeah. Else. I don't think it's the actual smoke that's doing it. But they, they theorised that the hot embers of the tobacco leaf would had jolted his wife back into consciousness. And then the practice grew, uh, grew quickly from there. 
So apparently they thought that the use of tobacco in the form of medicine came from the indigenous Americans who used the plant to treat various ailments. They invented what we refer to as a tobacco emina. So they started it, but maybe they didn't do it to... I don't think they used it to revive drowned people. (laughs) (laughs) The English botanist, physician and astrologer Nicholas Culpepper borrowed from these practices to treat pain in his native England with methods including enemas to treat inflammation as a result of colic or a hernia, also headaches or whatever. But then it was the 18th century when everyone started using it to revive drowned people. So uh, Richard Mead would be among the earliest proponents of the use of the herbal enema as a recognised practice and helped bring its use, however short-lived, into the mainstream culture. Blowing smoke had become a regularly applied medical procedure, mostly used to revive people thought to be nearly deceased, usually drowning victims. The process was so common that they had several waterways, major waterways such as Thames or wherever, they kept the instrument consisting of a bellows and a flexible tube there's a picture of it. it's really funny it looks like a really really long thin sort of trumpet thing and at the end you, you shove that in the person's arse and the smoke coming out but the problem is it didn't have like a filter or anything so when you're blowing that into someone's arse chances are you're breathing in their shit oh. which is oh. not a good thing oh. okay so then you're getting the disease yeah out. so that oh. was not good so they ended up having a like sort of invent something that had a sort of like filter through it so that it or a valve whereby you're not breathing in that person's arse air. <sighs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually don't even know what to say. So they, they kept these things nearby like you know like if you have like nowadays nearby a, a river you have like life uh, rings what they called. Oh yeah the life rings. Like rings. I feel like that sounds right. Yeah well they would have them. I feel like said it too much now so I don't know if it's a real word. so they would have those you know those big plastic uh, life rafts or whatever they would throw in and you would grab onto it they had these at the the side of these large waterways specifically for blowing smoke up people's asses to revive them (laughs) instead of jumping in they would just fish them out and then blow the the smoke up so (laughs) the tobacco smoke was believed to increase the heart rate of the victim and encourage respiratory functions, ironically, as well as dry out the insides of the waterlogged individual. So, <laughs> so it's like, that is just such stupid logic, isn't it? Like, let's dry, they're soaking on the inside, so we better blow smoke up their arse to make sure that they're dried out, like smoking dry a kicker or something. Oh my God, that's insane. I just... So because they thought that it made that method of delivery, they preferred that more than breathing air directly into the lungs via the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, go the long way around. Before the implementation of an official instrument, tobacco enemas were typically administered with a standard smoking pipe. I mean, that's quite close to get someone's arse. Yeah, really. Hot as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's why they thought it would wake them up because it would like, heat them up to like, the inside. Oh, oh, like, like, yeah. actually you. Fuck. This proved to be an impractical solution as the stem of a pipe would be much shorter than the tube of the instrument that would come later, making bro- both the spread of diseases such as cholera and the accidental inhalation of the contents of the patient's anal cavity shit an unfortunate yet common possibility. 
the tobacco's enemas rise in popularity in full swing. London doctors William Hawes and Thomas Cogan together formed, now this is really funny, the institution for affording immediate relief to persons apparently dead from drowning. That's quite a long name for a society. <laughs> it's nice and brief and catchy. Yeah, or A-F-I-R-T-P-A-D-F-D for short. <laughs> in 1774, the group was later named the much simpler Royal Humane Society, a charitable organisation that grants awards for acts of bravery and saving of human life and also for the restoration of life by resuscitation. So because they, they gave an award, I think they gave them four guineas for resuscitating a drowning victim. So imagine all the people blowing smoke up everyone's arse just to get like 100, the equivalent of like 160 quid today. I'd blow smoke up someone's arse for 160 quid. <laughs> How would you feel some blue smoke up your arse though? I don't okay. think I'd let them to start with. Well, you, wouldn't have you, wouldn't you wouldn't have a choice in the matter, Yaz. They'd be blowing smoke up your arse oh, to get you back. Dead from drowning already. Yeah. So maybe it would be better than being dead from drowning. Yeah. Uh, you be alive, they get 160 quid. Everyone's a winner. It's great. It carried on until it was also used for ailments such as typhoid headache and stomach cramping. Oh my god, so I've got like period pains or something. Um I better go get some smoke and blow it up my arse. <laughs> oh my god. So with the uh, it went on till the eighteen eleven when they discovered that tobacco was actually toxic to the cardiac system, but the popularity of the practice of tobacco smoking and is they it just gradually dwindled. But I'm sure it dwindles, but I'm sure there's probably still people that just like to do it for fun. Uh, it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Well, people put, like, I don't know, you've seen on Jackass where people put, like, give themselves, like, like vodka eminas and all sorts of weird shit up there. Get drunk quicker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I heard that, um, I don't know if it was Rod Stewart or someone, some pop star. Yeah, it was Rod Stewart. He um, shoved capsules of coke up his ass because he couldn't take it orally for some, or through his nose or something, maybe. Aye, because he was scared of it. damaging his vocal cords if he snorted it so he decided to shove it up his ass instead <laughs> <laughs> never mind the amount of that, semen yeah. they got pumped out his stomach that one time <laughs> yeah. oh. did you know about that um myth yasmin about rod no. stewart he, ended up, he had really bad stomach cramps so he got taken to the hospital and it turned out that they had to pump his stomach because it was so full of semen because <laughs> he'd been sucking too many dicks that sounds like nonsense yeah yeah, it was an urban myth (laughs) oh god but he actually did shove cocaine up his ass so there you go (laughs) I was going to say this brings me (laughs) up (laughs) (laughs) so what mad shit have you got Yasmin from the world of medicine (laughs) I don't think I can top that to be honest can't top blowing smoke up someone's arse yeah I don't think I can. I've it's up there with all the other good ideas that you know the English have come up with, like Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say is a probably a good topic for next week is stupid like myths like that about celebrities or about just famous people in general. That are I've clear. done that already, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like that pre pre days. Yeah. Pre, days. Oh yeah, that was ages ago. Although I did like your suggestion, but yes, yeah. there's so much. I think there's so much more to talk about with in um, terms of mad medieval sort of 
like medicine practices. So I think we should do another one next week and do like a two-parter. I was going to suggest that and I thought you might not want to do it. No, we've done it before because I I think it's so funny and there's loads more we can talk about. So we can just focus mostly on like mainly next week on different methods. Like I want to talk about different methods that they try to cure the black death with the plague so you just do like kind of just weird medical things yeah in general? Like, yeah it doesn't medieval. have to be a medieval it could be like any era like i did 18th century there with the smoke well, um, i'd like to look at different methods for how they tried to cure uh well madness as they called it then but like mental uh, yeah i'd like to talk about the wandering womb which concerns me and you yasmin apparently oh, we are list, actually that I yeah <laughs> Women who are supposed to like get married really young and have babies yeah. really quickly before their womb wanders off. And I'm wanders like, off. Gets bored. And like, Where's it going? <laughs> and you have I to agree, learn I'm about. I've never done falling over whims at the pain. I've never been up. Sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, so let's do that next week. Um, I think there'll be a lot of laughs there. I've been really yeah. interested, you know, just laughing yeah. at people's stupidity in the past. I mean, maybe people do stupid stuff now, like, you know, the fecal thing. I don't know. I wouldn't do it, but there you go. So, yeah, that was fun. Um, I'm going to, David just came in my room and he wrote down a little message and I was like, what? And he'd written, I'm going to get the dinner now. So that means he's going off to get a, like a takeaway from the Chinese. So hopefully he'll get me something nice. What are you guys going to do? Oh, man, I'm going to go get the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat a macaroon. Mmm. What, like a traditional macaron or a French one? Uh, no, a traditional one. So oh, that not is the... French macarons, but I'm having a traditional one. Is that like the potato base? Is it, is it made of potatoes yeah. or am I going mental potatoes. here? Potatoes and um, sugar? icing sugar yeah. and coconut milk. Right, so it's sort of more of a Scottish um, delicacy. Sugar and potato. That could be my drag one. What was oh. that about? Um, Scottish thing, what was it called? Tatties or something? And they're covered in like a, a chocolate coca powder dust. Okay, oh. never mind then. I feel like there is something else when you go into like Scottish sweet shops, there's other things going on with coconut that I can't remember. Sour plums. Mm. Like sour Really funny. So like, Abdul's basically has to speak to this nutritionist guy like through his gym to make sure that he stops eating shit. And he's basically had to keep a food diary. But see, when we were up in Scotland like a few weeks ago, and on the Friday night, I was like, right, stuff all this healthy food. I want to have a proper deep fried pizza. I want to get proper You Scottish ruined him. <laughs> so part of his food diary says deep fried pizza. And <laughs> I to submit the diary and the, guy, the guy's obviously English. And he's like, yeah. what? I don't even know what that is. Pizza crunch. <laughs> it was because he'd never had a pizza crunch. So I was I've like, never had a pizza, pizza crunch. crunch. I've never had a pizza crunch. Are you guys fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually scared to eat one, but yeah, I've never really seen what the appeal is. Like they're so good, like so good. I like, know I used to see them. You will give you a heart attack. Oh my god, you really should. Like I feel so disappointed in both of you right now. I used to think you're in England, like craving them sometimes. And I feel like it's fine for you. Like you have a lovely finger, so a pizza crunch is probably like an occasional treat for you. If I had one, I'd probably immediately have a massive heart attack and die. <laughs> well, I I for two days, I thought I was going to die because it was like my body can't deal with it anymore. <laughs> Remember that time, Yasmin, I went down to visit you in London and you uh, you took me to that chicken and waffles place and I actually got chicken and waffles with syrup and mac and cheese on the side. I wolfed so, that down because it was fucking amazing. But see, yeah. the next day, 
I felt like I was going to die. I was so bloated. I thought my insides are going to explode any minute. It was awful wandering Camden, suffering. Absolutely worth it. (laughs) But at the time when I ate that, oh my god, it was so good. (laughs) So I guess that's what a pizza crunch is to you. It's just so good, and then the next day you want to die. Yeah, that's Scottish food. Well, maybe not Scottish food, more Glaswegian. Yeah, more like sort of central Scotland. We'll deep fry anything. We're like the Japanese, we'll deep fry anything. We had pizza crunch, deep fried pizza, deep fried sausage, deep fried haggis. Deep fried black pudding. I do like a a black pudding supper. I know that. I don't mind that. Black pudding. It looks like a big long sausage as well. Do you know what um, I find weird? Getting on a tangent here about food, but I found weird that you can get like potato fritters and that my pal Nikki, who's from Chester, she would go to the chippy next to my studio at art school and get like potato fritters in a roll. And I thought, what the fuck are you doing? I don't find that weird at all. I love potato fritters in a roll. I didn't understand that. It was like totally carb overload. I suppose, yeah. I know I'm just weird that way. Like a chip butty's fine, but a potato fritter in a roll is wrong somehow. You judge her for her weird potato habits. People who have a scotch pie in a roll, why? Just eat the scotch pie, don't put it in a roll. Why do you have to put everything in a fucking roll? (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what it is. Sponsor is bread. Nowhere else would you go somewhere and they think, I know what I'll do. I'll put a scotch pie in a roll. I don't understand. Oh, I love potato fritters in a roll. I pretty much love anything in a roll. I fucking love rolls. <laughs> I like a rolling slice, which is a rolling lawn sausage, which is a square sausage, if anyone yeah. was wondering. I'm into like, England with me. Every time I go home, like my mum gets me like square sausage yeah, and potato it and bring it down. So I've got potato scones and square sausage oh, in my pizza. Oh man, there's nothing better than a, a rolling slice, a bit of black pudding and a nice fried egg. Mmm. You know, I might actually do that for my dinner. Oh god. That's, I have already had my dinner and I had uh, rolls with fried eggs on them. <sighs> fried duck eggs, they were amazing. Duck eggs? Are they big? Yeah. Very posh, what the fuck? I know, God's sake. That's because he's been living in Tory town for long. He lives in Tory town. <laughs> He's going to turn into Ian. (laughs) 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 Nobody knows who the fuck is Ian. Who is Ian? He actually, I fell out with him. I actually blocked him on Facebook because he declared him. He said, I have joined the Conservative Party. And I went, oh, really? Right, well, fuck you then. And I blocked him. Don't worry, I'll never join the Conservative Party. I might like stop then, but I'm not a fucking monster. (laughs) We were actually talking about Ian yesterday, one of my friends that I'd met him ages ago when he came down for my birthday. And my friend was actually saying to me, do you know, I was like really um, reevaluating our friendship because I hated him so much that I almost stopped hanging out with you. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. I mean, so I nearly lost a friend because he was so shit to me. But anyway. Block yourself. Yeah, if I'm you're a Tory, please just don't even listen to us. Please, thank you. Uh, maybe reevaluate your life. Okay. Yeah, or blow some smoke up your ass. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go now and um, wait for David to bring back that lovely, delicious Chinese meal. Not a Chinese man or woman, just a nice meal. 
And yeah, yes, yeah, go and enjoy your Scottish fry up. And Mark, I don't know, go stroke your cat or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're macaron. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see you next we'll, well, I'll talk to you all next week. And yeah, bye. bye. Chris, so, man.